Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki, and this is the additional bonus tape for book number five in the Rich Dad series, Retire Young, Retire Rich. I'll give you a quick overview of the book and how it pertains to my life. Back in 1985, my wife and I decided that we had best plan on retirement as soon as possible. With my best friend, Larry Clark, we were up in the mountains of Whistler in Vancouver, British Columbia, and we were skiing up there. And Larry says to me, he says, look, you know, we're in our 30s. It's about time we retired. And we're working. We're getting too old here. So Retire Young, Retire Rich is basically the plan. As I said in the book three of Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, investing is a plan. And we came up with a plan so that we would all retire within 10 years. So in 1985, we began our plan. And by 1994, Kim and I retired. In 1996, Larry retired. So it's really a very simple plan by three people about how to get out of the rat race once and for all. And that's how the overall story of the book runs. It wasn't a pleasurable story. I mean, from 1995 on, it was some of the worst years of our life. But we kept fighting on. And for those who read the second book, probably the most important book, Cashflow Quadrant, is how Kim and I were homeless for a number of months and were struggling, refusing to get a job. And finally, coming out of the process nine years later, financially free for the rest of our lives. But primarily what this book about is not so much what we did, but more how we thought. A big part of this book is the difference between content and context. And what I mean by context, if you can picture a water glass with water in it, the water is the content and the glass is the context. A major part of this book and this tape is the context. For example, context are the rules or your reality or the culture you come from. In other words, if you say, I'll never be rich, that's a contextual statement. And what I talk about context is whatever you think is real becomes your reality. In other words, you can have a reality, but not have the same reality as me. So I hear many people say, I'll never be rich. And guess what? They never will be until they change the context. I can give you all the content. I can give you the formulas, the whiz-bang formulas on how you can make millions of dollars. But if your subconscious or your contextual point of view or your being says, I'll never be rich, you'll never be rich. Another thing I oftentimes hear people say is, well, it takes money to make money. That's a contextual statement, which is absolutely not true. So a lot of people say, well, I can't be rich because I don't have money. So they'll never be rich. Another one I hear quite often is, investing is risky. And as I said, whatever you think is real becomes your reality. And investing is not risky at all in my reality, but for somebody's context that says investing is risky, it is. So whatever you think is real is real. So most of this tape here, or this talk and the book, book five in the Rich Dad series, Retire Young, Retire Rich, is about more context and a little bit of content. That's how things go. So this tape is the secrets on how to retire young. This is what this book is about and what this tape is about. With us in the studio today is Dolph DeRuz, who's my real estate advisor, my real estate expert. Also, Philip Lecter, who is my partner, Sharon Lecter's son, and Justin, who is your best friends, right, guys? Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. the best friends. And they're the young bucks. They're 27 years old. They were exactly the same age I was when I came back from Vietnam, and I had to make a decision. I was old enough. I was not a kid anymore. And I had to make a decision at around 25, 26 years old, which dad was I going to listen to? My poor dad, 
or my rich dad. And my, for those of you who know my story, is my poor dad had just been fired. He lost his job. He was downsized at age 50. And even though he had no job, because and the reason he was fired was because he, he ran for lieutenant governor against the governor of the state of Hawaii. And the governor says, you, you know what, you ran against me, so you'll never get a job again. So my dad was basically blacklisted from government. And all he ever knew how to do was be a government employee. But even though my dad had no job, he was 50 years old, I come back from Vietnam, you know, as Johnny comes marching home again, and my dad says, go back to school, get a job, get a higher degree, buy a house, play it safe. And I said, but dad, that's what you did. You have a PhD. You don't have a job. All you have is a house, and you can't even pay for it. No, 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 no. Get a job. Job security is everything. So what I was listening to was his context. And then I went over to my rich dad, and my rich dad said, well, if you want to follow in his footsteps, you do what he does. But I wouldn't follow in your dad's footsteps. My rich dad also says something else is very interesting. He says, the benefit for my rich dad was this, that he lost his dad when he was 13. So he said, at the age of 13, I had to face the real world. I was basically thrown on the streets. I had to learn how to survive. So unfortunately, your dad is 50 years old when he's being thrown out on the streets. And he doesn't have the skills to survive. He says, the trouble with school, it doesn't give you the skills to survive on the streets in the real world. So you're always looking for job security or I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer. You know, you're looking for this protection from the harshness of the real world. And you're like an animal who's been caged all your life and you suddenly throw it back in the wild and it can't survive anymore. So this is your dad at 50 has got to face the real world. And the reason I think this book is important is as we have downsizing coming up again, many of these mutual funds, these 401ks, people are not going to have enough money. They're going to be thrown out in the real world, and some of them will be 50, 60, 70, 80 years old when the real world finally hits them. So that's why I think this program and this book and this tape are very important. So going back again, we're going to talk about reality. What do you think is real is your reality. And your reality may not be my reality. All I'm asking you to do is listen to changes in reality. And that's what this tape is about. So with me also is uh, Dr. Dolph DeRoos. And the reason he's here and the secret to retiring young, the secret is, is you don't want a job. And the reason I say that is because I remember I was in school. I was 15 years old. My grades were really bad. And the teacher says, you know, if you don't get good grades, you won't get a job. And I said, thank God, I'm on the right track then. And so I, I really quickly cocked that job and grades were the same thing. And since I didn't want a job anyway, you know, I didn't need good grades. And it was kind of obvious to me. But I stayed in school. I did graduate and all this. But the best way to retire young is not want a job. And the faster you don't have a job, the better off you're going to be. And for most people, their context is, well, you got to have a job. How are you going to pay the bills? And if you can't get through that context, everything we say from here on in will not make sense. So in other words, if your reality says you must have a job, guess what? You're going to find a job. I don't have that context. I don't want a job. I never want a job. I've had a job for four years of my life, and that was to work for the Xerox Corporation, but I went to that company to learn the most valuable skill if you want to be a business person, and that's the ability to sell. If you can sell, you don't need a job. It's the most important skill I could get. If I want to be a business owner, I have to learn how to sell. So with me today is Dr. Dolph DeRuz. He has his PhD in electrical engineering, and the thing I'm embarrassed to say is that he's had a job even less than me. He's never had a job. And so one of the ways to retire young, retire rich is never want a job. If your context is keep screaming loudly at you, but you got to have a job, 
got to have a job. Tell it to just be quiet for a little while and listen. So, Dolph, can you tell us how it is that you have never had a job? Sure. Um, I find it very interesting. You said that at the age of 13 or 14, they said your grades are so bad, you'll, you'll not be able to get a job. And you said, great, I don't want one. When I was 14, I didn't have that context. For me, I thought I needed a job because my parents taught me, if you want to do well in life, you have to study hard and get a degree. Because with a degree, you can get a job, and with a job, you can build a career, and then you'll have financial security. So I went right through school thinking, well, I'm going to end up with a job because that's the way to financial success. Not only did they teach me that, they taught me that Education was so important that it wasn't even questionable whether or not you go to college. You just did that. So off I went to college. And in fact, I remember I didn't even know what I wanted to do. The the sight of blood turned me off. So that was medicine out. I didn't want to look into people's mouths all day. I went through a list of professions that were likely candidates for me. And I eliminated all but one. So that in the end, I went to university to study electrical engineering. That was the only thing that I kind of figured had some interest for me. And what horrified me in my first year is that the engineers that had made it, so to speak, were not uniformly wealthy. They tended to wear horrible old clothes, they drove shabby cars, and they lived in horrible homes. And I thought to myself, there's something wrong here. If what my parents said is true, that in order to have financial success, you need a job, well, these people are living proof that that might be wrong. So I decided to make a study of the rich. And this study took more than nine months. I thought to myself, if I can find out the 30 or 40 things that the rich all have in common, and if I then emulate those things, then my chances of becoming rich would be very high. What horrified me is that there weren't many things that the rich had in common. It wasn't age or gender or whether you were born into a rich family or whether you had an education or not. In fact, there were only two things. Very briefly, one of them is that almost without exception, the rich had integrity. And that's a whole topic that we can spend an hour on. But the second thing that the rich had in common, almost without exception, is that they either made or held their wealth in real estate. And that's why at the very tender age of 17, I decided to get into real estate. I thought, well, if that's what the rich have in common, that's what I'll do. Now, I hadn't abandoned the idea of education at that stage. I carried on studying. In fact, you know, I studied a long time. I was at university for eight years. And I ended up getting a PhD in electrical engineering. It's about as far as you can go in the tertiary system. But a very interesting thing had happened. While I was going through university, I kept on investing more and more in real estate. I decided that I quite liked it. I decided it was easy. And when I finally finished and had my little piece of paper to say that I was qualified... A PhD, right? A PhD. I was offered many jobs, but one in particular that I remember was a job at $32,000 a year. And I thought that was pretty good. That was a pretty handsome salary. And I knew that if I accepted that job, my parents would be so overjoyed because, remember, their whole fantasy was that I would get this degree and then get a job. But unfortunately for my prospective employer, the week before I had just completed a real estate deal that netted me 35000 And I distinctly remember thinking to myself, why would anyone in their right mind work for 40 hours a week for 50 weeks of the year, turning up every morning at 8 o'clock saying, hello, boss, here I am, and what do you want me to do today? For 32 lousy thousand dollars a year, when in one week you can make 35,000 and take the rest of the year off. That was a question, Robert, that was so crystal clear in my mind, and I, I mulled it over, and I couldn't figure a solution other than to say I'm not accepting that job. 
and to this day, I have never had a job. I don't know what it's like having one. So you don't even know what a job is in many ways. You know it in conceptual terms, but you don't know in actual terms. Intellectually and philosophically, I know what a job is. But people do often come up to me and say, hey, what's it like never having had a job? And all I can do is shrug my shoulders. I don't know. I sometimes say to them, what's it like never having traveled to Pluto? Because it makes as much sense to me as that question would to most other people. Now, I know that I do not want a job, apart from the fact that it doesn't pay nearly as well as what you can earn when you do things off your own bat. Most of the people I know that have jobs, apart from being vulnerable because they might lose them... Because job security is questionable, right? Right. Uh, I don't have that issue. But apart from that... Um, they often complain about their jobs. They say silly things like, you wouldn't believe what my boss got me to do last week. They tried to get me to do such and such, and they tried to do the same last month, and I can't stand it when he does that, and why does he do that? I'm going to... And I say, hey, if it's so bad, why don't you quit? Just stop doing that job. But and they, they can't. Come, you can't. I have to pay the bills. Because in their context, their reality is you got to have a job. Right. And I have bills to pay. And as long as you have that reality you don't ever get ahead, or you, st you stay in a job. Right. So I've never had that reality, and that's why I say it's ironic, because when I was 13, 14, 15, I was in that same mindset as the majority of people thinking, you go to school, you study, you get a job. But something happened to me because I got onto this real estate thing where it sounds evangelical, but I saw the light. I suddenly saw that you could do far better than you can with a job by not having a job. In fact, a job is an inhibitor to doing really well because it doesn't just soak up eight hours of your day. If you consider we have 24 hours a day, you sleep for eight, you've got to clean your teeth, you've got to eat, you've got to do grocery shopping, do it. the number of hours you have to do creative stuff is very limited. And that eight hours at your work just kills it. So in your context, you don't, you don't want a job, you don't need a job, and you're better off without a job. Completely. Right. So you don't understand most people when they say, but you've got to have a job. No. No. Okay. Can't understand it. Right. Can't empathize with it. If I paid you a million dollars a year to come work for me, what would you say? Uh, I mean, I'm not interested. For a start, I'd say, you only think I'm worth a million? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you don't, yeah. but you don't have to do anything. You can come sit in an office for eight hours a day, five days a week. I'll pay you a million dollars. No way. I mean, that would be boring for a start. And secondly, you're limiting me to a million. I'd know on the 1st of January that by the 31st of December, I will have made a million dollars. So do you understand how strong his context is? That most people, if offered a million dollars to do nothing, their line would be from here around the worth, you know, five times. That's how badly people want a job. Their culture has caused them to be so needy, per se, to have somebody give them a paycheck. Hmm. And even though, how about two million? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yet the average person would jump in line, wouldn't they? Right. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think they've made it. So context, like I said, is like the glass and the water is the content. And if you don't have a very strong context, then you cave in. You'll go for the job security every single time. So for myself and my wife and my friend to retire young and retire rich in less than 10 years, the most important thing was not so much the content. It was the context. We had to be tough. That's why in Cashflow Quadrant, when it talks about, you know, why don't you get a job even though you're homeless? We didn't want one. And that is really hard for people to say that it's so codependent, you know, but you got to have the check. You got to have the money. You got to pay the bills. I got to put food on the table. And they become what psychologists call needy. 
And I think the most important thing is you got to want to not be needy. That's the most important. I'll say it again. My rich dad said the best thing that happened to him is he, he faced the real world at 13. And after he learned he could survive in it, he realized he didn't need a college education. He didn't need a job. He didn't need a banker. He didn't need anything at that point. And that's really what retirement young is, when you don't need anything or neediness. But to get there, for most people, they have to have a pretty strong context. Because, you know, very few of us are born with the silver spoon or like, the, you know, the Kennedys. They were, they were born with hundreds of millions of dollars behind them. They work just because they got nothing else to do. If you're in that situation, that's fine. I wasn't so blessed. You know, when I graduated, my old man gave me a handshake, and that was it. And that was from high school, not college. <laughs> and he said, you're on your own from here. So I'm talking about context. If your context is weak, if I offer you $100,000, you will jump at it. Ten bucks, you will jump at it because you want the money so badly. So the point I'm going to make here is, first, you don't want a job. The next point is security is not the same as freedom. Most people want job security but that's not the same as financial freedom. The thing I was taught very early on by my rich dad is the price of security is your freedom. In other words, the more you want security, like if, I, if, if Dolphus says, I'll take a million dollars, at that, I own you. You sit at that desk, do nothing. This is what time you eat lunch. This is what time you can't eat lunch. So many people get their security at the price of their freedom. And there's a very big difference. So freedom and security are very different things. So the reason I do these things, as most of you know, is that I think one of the most dangerous things that people have is a very, this, you know, the poor investment plan, even to this day, is have a lot of kids. If you have a lot of kids, the kids will take care of you in the old days. So that's a poor person's way of thinking. The middle class way is get a job, I mean, go to school, get a job, 401k, house, and savings, and mutual funds. To me, that's fine. People think that's secure, but in my opinion, that's the most risky thing in the world. I have nothing against mutual funds because all investments have risk. There's risk in real estate, right, Don? Sure. Yeah. Hmm. There's risk in starting a business. There's risk in everything. But the, what I'm against is the ignorance when it comes to mutual funds. As my friend Wayne Morgan says, he says, a 401k is a savings plan with no bottom to it. I mean, if the market crashes, you can lose everything. At least in savings, you know, hopefully your principal is there protected up to 100000 in America. But in a mutual fund, you can lose everything. And after the September 11th event, you know, terrorism is the wild card today. And your mutual funds may not go up. Another thing that may keep your mutual funds down is baby boomers are going to start retiring by 2008, and they're going to start withdrawing money. 75 million baby boomers withdrawing $1,000 a month is $75 billion coming out of the market. The third thing that happened is when they were bombing Afghanistan, where was George Bush? He wasn't in America. He was in China cutting a deal. He was there with Bill Gates and Carly Fiorina of Hewlett-Packard. And why China is the wild card is because China is going to pass America as the world's largest GDP, gross domestic product, within about five years. What that means is anything produced in America can produce for be produced for less in China. So that means those people with middle management, high-paying jobs may soon lose that. So those are the three factors that make the idea of job security, mutual funds, and savings so risky. Because savings right now are paying only 2%. And so that means if you make a million bucks, you only get $20,000 cash flow off of it. That's really a, no leverage of that. And of that 20,000, 50% will be taxed. So your effective rate on a million dollars in savings is 
10,000 bucks. So that's why I do these tapes. If you really like mutual funds and all that, then my friend Rick Sapio of Mutuals.com, he and I did this tape called The Pros and Cons of Mutual Funds. If you're going to bet your financial security and future and retirement on mutual fund, get educated. That's all I'm saying. All things have risk, but mutual funds are some of the riskiest things in the world. The reason they're risky is because most of them only do well in an up market or a bull market. They lose everything in a down market, and they don't regain sometimes. So please get educated. So moving on here, um, I have two young gentlemen. They're about the same age I was when I came back from Vietnam. And Philip Lecter and Justin, they came to work with us. And my job was to change their point of view on reality. And uh, I don't pay them very well. They bust their butt for me. They work really hard. And I always remind them, and and I'm up front with all the people who are employees of mine. I keep telling them, your job is to make me rich. And I keep reminding you of that. And the reason for that is I want to goad you into being uncomfortable enough to know that you're not secure with me. And and I want you to be secure, but I can't make you guys rich. And that was the main reason I goad you on. I tell all the people that work with me. You know, just don't depend upon a 401k and a mutual fund. You know, start learning about real estate or things like this. So, Phil, I've known Philip for a long time now. He came to work with us when Rich Dad was first starting off. It was actually in his garage that his mom and I and my wife Kim started Rich Dad. And Philip came. He was actually our first employee ever. He was still in college. He came to work with us. And over the years, your context has really changed, hasn't it? Yes, it has, Robert. How, how old are you now? 27. Okay. What is different about you versus your classmates, per se, of the same age? Well, what's really interesting is when when I graduated college, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And what I was able to take from there is that it wasn't about the salary. I was going out looking for jobs just like all of my other classmates were. And what I saw them do is they were comparing salaries. Well, this person or this company is going to give us $35,000. This company is only going to give me $32,000, and it's in the same industry, so it really doesn't matter to me much. Well, you know, what I realized is that I needed to go out and I needed to look for a job that taught me skills, that I could get something out besides salary. And my first job, I was making $21,000 a year. To some people, that may be a lot. To others, it's not. But when you compare it to all of my friends who graduated, the lowest salary that my friends graduated with was $30,000. So that was one-third the amount. I was just barely getting by, you know, eating my top ramen soup. But I knew what I was getting out of it. I knew I was getting the skills that I needed in order to be successful. And the skills you were getting was how to manage people, right? How to manage people. It was a janitorial service with hundreds of employees. That is correct. Right. And so I talked to Philip. I said, get you know, just don't go for the salary. Like we say, I'm rich dad, poor dad. You know, work to learn, not to earn. And that's what you were doing, right? That's exactly what I was doing. And, you know, my next job was actually going and uh, working for Gallo Wine. Because I said you have to learn how to sell. Darn straight. Now, that was that was a big thing. And, and the other thing that I realized, too, is, is and I spent a year at Gallo, and, and I realized coming out of that that I'd learned what I needed to get out of it. You know, the next thing I really looked for was something that I hated the most. Financial statements. Financial statements. And not only financial statements, but also, you know, I mean, being able to read numbers. And uh, also, part of that job was cold calling. When I graduated school, I said, I'm never going to be in sales. I'm never going to be on the phone, especially cold calling. Well, that job, I ended up with making 150 
calls a day, cold calls to businesses, checking to see if they wanted money. So what, what I said to Philip was he had to learn how to be a banker, how to read financials, and on top of that, he, he got the bonus because he had to cold call all day long, right? That's right. It was a great opportunity because, so I had to get over the fear of cold calling. I had to get over the fear of, of asking people questions and finding out what it is that was about them that made them tick. Well, you have to ask very personal questions. When you get into a company's finances because you're the banker, you're really getting to the core of their, you know, their either their ignorance or their intelligence. And you would be surprised the the financial shape of most of the businesses that are out there, especially the small businesses, the the lack of knowledge that they really do have about their finances and the lack of management with their finances. So I had a double win there. I was able to learn how to sell as well as how to read financials and. With that came personal credit, so I got to learn the whole other banker side of the business, and that was when that was when the light really came on to me that it really it, it is about the individual. It's about their you know their ability to to think outside the box to get the right advice. And their financial intelligence was financial so, intelligence, which is not taught in school at all. Right. Well, I graduated from college with a business management degree, and I had one finance class, and all that we were taught was to learn how to understand an interest rate. Right. That that did nothing for me in the real world. And that's what my rich dad said, is most people who graduate from college are so out of touch with the real world. It's frightening, and they, but they think, because I have a college degree, I'm entitled to the high life, you know? So that's when Philip came to work. He very faithfully came up. He says, okay, what's next? And what's next? And he says, okay, I've done all of it. Now can I come to work with you? And I said, well, this is Sharon's son. This is family. So Philip has been the absolute the best. He's grown and grown and grown. And then as we came on with a new web-delivered cash flow 101 game and 202 game, then we brought Justin on. You guys went to college together and all these your best friends. Yep. And I said, now, how, this, is, this nepotism is going a little bit too far here, you know. And, but Justin has turned out to be a pillar in our company. And so I see these two young guys about the same age I, I was when I came back from Vietnam. And what I've had the pleasure of doing is seeing your context change. Like this very, this very morning, Justin has been up for like three weeks every night of the week until all no sleep at all. And he's building my website. We have a company meeting. He's sitting there, his eyes all bleary, sitting there looking at everybody. And I, I go up to Justin. And I, he's, he's working for me. I always remind him, your job is to make me rich. Because when you guys build this website, I'm going to get very rich because they're building me an asset, right? You guys are building me an asset. And so, and I keep taunting them. I say, hey, Justin, real estate's looking pretty good right now, does it? And he goes, because <laughs> you know that your freedom is not working for me. Is that correct? Yeah, Robert, when I, when I first got out of school, I was, I, I, I studied hard. I wanted to be, I was at the top of my class. I was getting the, what was supposed to be the, the best job to get out of, out of school. I was in the high tech industry. Everything was booming. Everything was going great. And, uh, what I said, I said, I, I always knew I wanted freedom. I knew that I wanted to retire young and retire rich, but I went about it the wrong way. I first started going about it by running really quickly. I wanted to get the best job and move up the ladder. I kept trying to move up the ladder as quick as possible. And you know what? I got exhausted really quick. And uh, my roommate, Phil, he, he saw me come home every night. I was traveling on the weekends. I was slave to this job, and I was getting nowhere. I was My salary was going up. Okay, I got up uh, from 30000 to 45000 to 45000 to 55000 Well, that was all great, but I was exhausted, and I'm only 27. So, you know, I, I said, well, I have to do something differently. I need to, I need to change this. And just recently working uh, with Rich Dad and, and being around Phil and around everybody, I realized that 
the way to retire young is is not to run around in this rat race. It's is to find a way to get out and and putting the same time into into my education financially that I put into my my time when I went to college. But my financial education is what's going to make me、uh, successful. So let me ask the two of you. You know, if I said right now, I'll give you a hundred thousand a year to work with me. But you can never go out and look at a real estate deal. What would you say? You're Absolutely kidding. Absolutely not. No way. Because what would I be taking away from you? you? You'd be limiting us to our future, and you'd be taking away our freedom. Is what you'd be doing? Sure, you may be providing us with the average man's security, a hundred thousand dollars. You know, coming out of school, yeah, everybody's like, oh, that's great, and that's what a lot of our friends out there are looking for right now. Yeah, well, Robert, I, I, I'm a big outdoors fan, as, as you know, and I have a bunch of money in tents, and、uh, I'll go live in them. <laughs> Uh, before I go ahead and do that, I, I saw a lot of my friends、uh, in the high tech world as as the economy started to change.、Uh, they、and、were the high tech world was the that was it. If you you know we that was figured the secure position, right? Yeah, if technology is still not going to go away, but where do you want to be? Well, in technology, well, if the economy dropped, and this is how we were all thinking, if the economy dropped, who would be the first to go? Well, we thought manufacturing. Well, who was the first to go? Everybody in technology. Everybody was in technology was the first to go, and、uh, they were all my friends are looking for jobs and. And they're trying to,、uh, you know, make their house payments because they're getting married and moving into their next bigger house, and they need to get that check、uh, that they're so used to to move into that bigger house to buy the new furniture to get to the next step that they're that they're so so tied to. So you see the context of go to school, get a job, climb the ladder, buy a big house, and all that stuff. Your friends are still in that, right? Oh, completely. And what we're seeing now is that with the change in the economy, of our friends, most of them actually had gotten laid off. They were downsized, and they're、uh, still looking for a job, right? Then there are some that still are looking for a job,、yeah. and some have downsized twice. Understand how tough the context is. You got to have a job. Context is whatever you think is real becomes your reality. So you start looking for the content. In this case, if the context is you have to have a job, what you start finding is the content, which is a job. And you guys would never do that again, would you? No way. We have one friend that's very interesting who's kind of struggling、uh, in both ways because he sees what we're doing and he's excited about what we're doing, but he still Doesn't want to lower his his standard of life. He's afraid to lose the twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars, you know, a year to make, you know, the unlimited potential that he can make. So he's been struggling. We've watched him. He's been trying to start his own business, and we watch him go out. He stumbles once, and as soon as he does that, he puts his resume together and tries to run out to get the job. But then he, you know, he talks to us some more, and then he goes, you know, okay, I'm going to give it another month. And、uh, just recently, he's had some big wins. And、uh, we've, we're like, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's not going to change his context. All of a sudden, a few things fell in place, and now he's like,、oh, I'm on my way. And、uh, you know, he knows now that he can make it happen, and he knows that he doesn't want to go back and get that job. It, you know, it changed for him overnight. That's good. The thing I want to bring up here is this: if you had any advice to people out there, given you guys are in your 20s yet. And you don't see working for me for the rest of your life as a career path. <laughs> Plus, I'd make it more miserable for you every day you stuck around, right? That is so true. <laughs> the way to retire young is never want or need a job. That's essence of it. Yet most people say, "Well, you got to have a job." So it's their context that keeps them trapped from seeing another world, another context, another possibility, like the context that Dolph has. He's never had a job. He doesn't want one. Doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to go back to somebody else's context. So if he has steps one, two, and three, what would you say? 
You know, that's a great question, Robert. And what we've seen is that in our generation, there are a lot more people that have the kind of the entrepreneurial spirit that are willing to go out there and try something new. Uh, we saw that, you know, with with some of our friends that, that decided that they were going to take that next step. They weren't going to go back to corporate America. They were going to try some startups, especially in the technology industry. And what we've seen is that when one thing failed, that they quit and they went back to corporate America. I can't tell you how many of our friends have actually taken that step backwards where they went out, they put a little bit of risk on it, they went to a company that was a startup, they a startup burned. IT. They got they felt that they got burned even though they were still getting what they they really had asked to get out of it, which was a paycheck. And and then they went back and they decided they're gonna go back to corporate America, which they had left to get into in the first place. And really the biggest thing that, that I can say is not to be afraid to fail and not to be afraid to make mistakes because the real essence of learning is making mistakes. Even in our ventures right now, you know, we've already lost two properties that we thought that we had gotten done. We were at the table ready to close, and we could have very, you know, we could have very easily just said, "Forget it. This is just too hard. We failed." But no, that's not what. That's part of that's, the process. That's part of the process. So I, co- I come in the room and I see you guys failed, and since congratulations, you know, keep going, right? Exactly. And other people will come in and say, "Quit. I told you you wouldn't make it." So it's a different context, and you got to be very aware of the context of the advice from people you get around you. It's amazing, Robert, the amount of people that come up and say, "You're doing what?" Why are you doing? Why Why are you into real estate? It's you know it's a down market right now. Everybody's getting laid off. I said exactly. That's why you're in it. That's why we're in it because here's the opportunity. Right. And more times than not, of our friends and my family, they don't understand what steps we're taking and why we're doing this. Good. The first thing is really stepping Commit. back and committing to, to saying, education to education. Your yeah. financial education. If you put eight hours a day learning something. Uh, learning biology, well, spend eight hours a day learning how to make money. And Have your money work hard for you. Exactly. Or other people's money work hard for you. Exactly. The reason real estate is so good to use your banker's money, is that correct? That is so true. In fact, uh, up to this point, uh, in the two deals that we are going to be finalizing next week, we're only going to be using $10,000 of our own money. Right. And, and we're getting over $500,000 worth of property. You know what was really funny was... Um, both Justin and Philip did the course, the real estate investment course that Dolph and I did together. And these two guys, they came to work Monday morning and their eyeballs were different. I saw them. And when I saw you guys come in the office on Monday morning after the real estate course, I knew your context had shifted. Like, you know, you don't care what I pay you anymore. You don't care. It's just that your future has nothing to do with what I do. Is that correct? That is so correct. And, yeah. and another thing is that I've never, I've never been a cash flow and asked for a raise. The check just goes into my account. It means nothing to me. In fact, it's almost it's negative because what it forces me to do is it forces me to have to be there eight hours a day. The other thing that I've noticed, too, is that even when we had friends that were laid off and they had all the time in the world, they had the 24 hours a day you know, minus the sleeping to do whatever they wanted to, they spent their entire time researching jobs. Yeah. Researching jobs, not researching Properties, properties, or stocks properties or any sort of investment. And and that was really sad because all of a sudden they had all this extra time. And a lot of those people left with severance packages where, where they didn't need to have cash to live right at that moment in time. What a great opportunity that so many of them never took. What Philip's saying is be willing to take risks, be willing to make mistakes and learn from your mistakes because that's the way you learn. That is correct. And what Justin is saying, be willing to be committed to a lifelong education that brings you freedom, not security. Exactly. So what would step three, what would you say that is? 
for them. I say step three is go out and do it. Yeah. We see a ton of people, including our friends, that talk about it and talk about it. You know what? You got to do it. You, you, we just talked about making mistakes. You have to go out. Even if it's a small step, go out and do it. But aren't those mistakes priceless? They are priceless. Yep. What we've learned from, I mean, what we've learned from the mistakes is ten times more than what we've actually learned from our successes. Right. And we're not worried about those mistakes. If those mistakes cost us money, which they have, we don't sit there and say, oh, no, we just lost, you know, a couple thousand dollars. We look at it and say, you know what, we just learned that, and that will never happen to us again. That's right. And next time we'll be able to capitalize it. Smarter. And we're going to make more money off that opportunity instead of what happened to us. And so we, we actually spent... You know, a couple thousand dollars on our education. Well, I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars of my education, you know, my, my formal education. What's well, a matter of spending a couple thousand on my financial education? Because one is security and one is freedom, right? Correct. And we'd rather spend more on freedom. I'll continue to spend money on freedom. That's right. I keep going in. I keep saying, guys, that real estate looks better at the harder they work for me. <laughs> I keep rubbing it in because I want these young men to go free. The other part, just want to say what happened for me was years and years ago, there's three basic asset classes. There's a lot of assets, but three basic asset classes are a business. You look at the guys who are the richest in the world, that's Bill Gates, Michael Dell, Branson, or Virgin, you know, and they built companies. So I went out and I started building companies. I immediately went broke. And some of the criticism on my book, which I find quite interesting, or my MO, is they say, well, business is risky. I said, well, job security is far riskier. So I say to young people, go out, and what Philip and Justin are learning is also how to build your own companies, right? That is correct. Yeah. We, everything we're doing is we're building around an entity, around right. a corporation at the same time that we're doing real estate, and that's that's been vital. Yeah, so I'm teaching them entrepreneurship, so they're getting that whole aspect of how to build their own companies. Because it's through the companies you buy your property. As Dolph says, they either made their money in real estate or they hold their money in real estate. The reason I buy real estate is simply because, number one, the tax advantages are there. Number two is my banker's money. And number three, it's, you know, if you know what you're doing, it's safe and stable. So I make a lot of money in my businesses, and then I go and buy real estate with it. And with my real estate, then I buy my Ferraris and my nice houses and things like that. That is a formula my rich dad taught me years ago. So it is really quite simple. The other thing about investing is this. When people say investing is risky, the reason for that is most of them invest in paper assets. You know what I mean? And so what's even riskier is not having the education to invest in it. So let me ask this question of Dolph right now. If you say investing is risky, you will see risky investments. But to you, Dolph, after all these years of investing in property, is property risky? Not at all. I see real estate as being one of the safest things you can get into. If you compare it to stocks or mutual funds, they can all go down to zero. A property very seldom goes down to zero. It might get wiped out by an earthquake or a landslide or something. But even under those circumstances, you have insurance against that. That's the point I want to bring up here. Would you ever invest without insurance, Dolph? No. If one of your properties burned down, what would you do? Well, I'd be ashamed, but I, I wouldn't be in a panic mode because I know it's going to be replaced with a new property. You call your insurance agent, right? Sure. So the point here is this. In Retire Young, Retire Rich, we talk about paper assets and how a professional investor would never invest without insurance. 
Right. And even in the stock market, the professionals invest with insurance. And the reason the amateurs say investing is risky is because they're investing, first of all, with their own money. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they got all their eggs in one basket. They say, I'm diversified, but they're diversified in mutual funds. In mutual funds, that's like saying I'm diversified on the Titanic. You know what I mean? It's, when it goes down, they all go down with it. But a professional investor would never invest in paper assets without insurance. And that's covered in Retire Young, Retire Rich, is how you use insurance to invest. So paper assets can be insured. But the average investor doesn't know that because they don't teach you that in school. They just tell you, put your money in a 401k and mutual funds, and they go up 30% per year. Well, that works in a bull market, but it doesn't work in a bear market. So everybody loses on the way down. That's a big point there. So what else about real estate is not risky for you? Um, The fact that I've got an asset that is real, you can touch it, smell it, feel it. Now, that means that if I can see an opportunity, I can improve that property and increase the value using my own creativity. You have control. I have control. I cannot think of any other asset class where I can do that. I can't look at a stock and say, well, I can go and do X, Y, and Z and improve it. Because the board won't let you do it anyway. They won't even listen to me in in most cases. So that's one of the benefits of real estate is that you have control over increasing it. The reason that many people say mutual funds are risky or paper or investing is risky, they don't, they, don't think, they don't think mutual funds are risky, is because they don't have any control. You know, there's been so many companies over the last few years, those dot-coms, or even not dot-coms, I mean blue-chip companies, the value of the stock went down, but the board voted in a pay raise for the president, CEO, and all the staff. Like the skippers of the Titanic are getting pay raises while everybody's in the water drowning and losing everything. So the thing about property is it gives you control over the management of it. Right. And then there are other aspects, like when I see a piece of property out there, I can buy it for way below its true value. I can't do that with stocks, for instance, because there's only one price at which stocks get transacted at any one moment. And it's the same right across the country, or if it's a global stock across the world. And the interesting thing about that is it's easy to buy something below its true value. It's very difficult to buy it above its true value because since we're using bankers' money, we don't want to put our own cash into it, you need to get an appraisal done. And if the appraisal is way above what you're paying for it, the banks will easily lend you the money. But if it's way below what you're paying for it, they'll say no. So what Dolph is rattling on about here, this is what he does all day instead of go to work. This is what you do instead of having a job. Is that correct? That's why when I get up in the morning, I can't wait to get out there and do things. That's right. Because the other thing about it, too, is your income limited. No. On the 1st of January, I have no idea what I will have earned by the end of the year. Right. Your income keeps going up. Right. And you work less and less. Mm-hmm. That is the joy of freedom and not having a job. So I'm not here to pitch you know, real estate or companies and all this. Like I said, there's three basic assets. The point I want to make here is to shift your context. You don't need money to make money. You know, like you look at the words rich dad. We pulled them, I mean, there really is a rich dad, but those, not, those words were pulled out of, a, out of the air. Philip's father trademarked and patented for me. It's not worth about $50 million. So I took words and made them worth millions of dollars. So all of these contextual ideas, it takes money to make money, you must have job security, investing is risky, those are all poor and middle-class contexts. If you want to get rich, you must first shift your context. And that's why I'm really glad Justin and Philip are here, because as young people, one of the joys I've had in working with them 
is to see them really understand what I've been saying. It's like passed on to the next generation that you guys don't want jobs. You have tremendous freedom ahead of you. You can go all over the world, right, Dolph? Right. All over the world. And you get richer and richer and work less and less. And that's what freedom really is about. So in summary, what I'd like to ask you is, if you had any words of advice, what would you have to say? What I would say is, look, just go for it. You don't need a college education to do this. There are so many people out there that are doing this that even haven't even graduated high school. It is not that hard. Thanks. Justin, what would you have to say? I would just say go out and find people that, that can help you uh, shift your context. Get surrounded around people that will help you work through that process so you have a better understanding of it and so you can learn it. Thanks. And Dolph, what would you to say? I think Nike summed it up well. Just do it. So in closing on this, thanks for listening to this tape. Thank you guys for being here today. After September 11th, you know, many things in this world have changed. People are saying, let's let's get back to normal. But I don't think it'll ever get normal. I was doing a talk yesterday that it's like the, the ice has cracked. And there's a big ice flow. This crack has opened up. Some people are going forward and some people are running backwards. And after the 11th, many people are looking for more and more security. And unfortunately, I think they're going backwards. I think the, the most joyous thing about educating yourself, taking risk and all this is the freedom. It's the freedom that this country was founded on. That's the most important thing. As I oftentimes say, is that in 1773, when they had the Boston Tea Party, they threw the tea in the ocean. They weren't throwing the tea in the ocean for job security. They're throwing the tea in the water for freedom. And most people will never or don't have an idea what freedom feels like. And the joy I have is I have the freedom to never have to work again the rest of my life. I work harder than ever before. I just don't have to. And I think what education can bring you is freedom. So please keep getting educated. For those who want to start, I would look at the cash flow game. On the cash flow game are two tracks. One is the rat race. And that's what most people go to college for. They get in the rat race, they buy stocks and bonds and mutual funds. That's the investments of the middle class. The fast track are the investments of the rich, the 506, Reg Ds, private placement memorandums. That's what the rich invest in. They don't invest in stocks and mutual funds. The third game is cash flow 202, and that's options. And the options game will teach you how to invest in paper assets with insurance. You never have to lose. The point here is this. Investing doesn't have to be risky, and freedom is a lot better than security. So thank you very much for listening to this tape, and I wish you find the freedom in your life. Thank you again.